Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Last week, I believe it's been about a month since we looked at Psalm 103, and that song was all about the goodness of God, but Psalm 104, its theme is the greatness of God. You'll notice it has no superscript, um, but, but with a parallel theme like that, uh, it would make sense for us to continue to attribute the human authorship to David, just as Psalm 103 says. Um, Psalm 104, it especially highlights the greatness of God in his creating and sustaining of the universe. Uh, This past Sunday, Easter Sunday, and really the past season, um, we, of course, celebrated and worshiped God for uh, his greatness in the salvation that he promised us and provided for us in Jesus Christ uh, and in the powerful life transforming resurrection of Christ. But the focus of Psalm 104 is the greatness of God in regard to how he creates and sustains. And the goal here, um, the goal of David here is that we worship, that we would stand in awe of God's greatness, that we would entrust um, with all of our faith, we'd entrust all of our lives to this great God. Let's read Psalm 104. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Thou coverest it with deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys unto the place which thou hast founded for them. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild asses quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and the herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth and wine that maketh glad the heart of man and oil to make his face shine and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he has planted where the birds make their nests. As for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the wild goats and the rocks for the conies. He appointed the moon for seasons, the sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. 
And then the sun ariseth, they gather themselves together and lay down in their dens. Man goeth forth unto his work and to his labor until the evening. O Lord, how manifold are thy works, and wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go the ships. There is that Leviathan whom thou hast made to play therein. These wait all upon thee, that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. And that thou givest them, they gather. Thou openest thine hand, and they are filled with good. Thou hidest thy face, and they are troubled. Thou takest away their breath, and they die, and return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they're created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. He looketh on the earth, and it trembleth. He toucheth the hills, and they smoke. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to this song you have given to us here, Psalm 104. We're so thankful for it and how it points us to your greatness, how desperately we need to be reminded um, that we have a great God, that we are cared for by a great God, that we were created by a great God who is in control of all. Uh, when winds come our way in life, when waters come our way, when life's trials and tribulations come our way, Lord, May we never forget your greatness, but may we face whatever is sent our way knowing that we have a great God. Lord, I, I pray that our thoughts of you would be high so that our worship of you is high and so that our faith in you would be high. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in verses one through nine, we see the greatness of God in his control of creation. Just like Psalm 103, uh, this psalm starts out the same way. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So David is commanding himself, his whole being, when it's his soul, he's talking about his whole being, to cry out to God in praise. And then right away in verse one, we are given what is to be the content of our cries of praise, God's greatness. In fact, it says here in verse one, he's very great. He's clothed with honor and majesty. Uh, much like in the New Testament when Jesus' followers are told to clothe ourselves with the character qualities of Jesus Christ, with the fruits of the Spirit, here God is pictured as wrapped, uh, clothed or wrapped in greatness. Uh, the first thing we should notice about God, um, just like we would notice somebody's apparel when we first meet them, uh, the first thing we should notice should be the greatness of our God. That's the whole point of Psalm 104. And it's an important concept. Um, that old-time preacher, A.W. Tozer, he thought it to be of the utmost importance. He said, what comes to your mind when you think about God, it is the most important thing about you. Now, why would that be? Well, let's not forget why, why we were created. We were created to glorify God and to enjoy a relationship with him, an actual relationship with him forever. And to do that, to, to fulfill our life's purpose then, uh, we need to know about God. 
More than that, we need to know God, not just about him, but we need to know him in relationship. Tozer also said that, that our worship, that, that main reason that we were created, our worship will be as pure or it'll be as base, it'll be as high or as low as the high or low thoughts we entertain regarding God. So what do you think? Is it extremely important for us to know God, to know his greatness, to know, as verse 1 says, his honor and his majesty, no doubt. And praise the Lord, he reveals himself to us in this psalm so that we can marvel at his greatness. And we can worship him with the highest form of worship. It's not singing. The highest form of worship is faith, a life of faith in all he is for us in Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 2. It says, this about God, he covers himself with light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Let's focus on that first phrase. God covers himself with light as with a garment. What a beautiful description. Many commentators note that Psalm 104, it is very much a poetic description of Genesis chapter 1. What did God create on that first day in Genesis 1? He said, let there be light. light. And this is where it starts out here. Is how he reveals himself to us. And actually, he, it's, he's revealing himself to us by concealing himself. It says he wraps himself, he clothes himself, covers himself with light as with uh, a garment. And so all of his honor and his majesty, all of God's greatness, it must be something that's nearly inconceivable if he does what he does here, covering himself in light as with a garment. Um, I mean, think about it. How bright God's glory must be if he uses light, even the lights like he created, like sun and moon and stars, it says he uses light to cover, to, to wrap himself, to, to graciously veil who he is so that we can come to know him. And we just sang, or we're going to sing about that uh, here in just a, a little bit after this sermon. We're going to sing, How Great Is Our God. It's a song you sang before. Um, and, and honestly, I've probably sung that lyric so many times, but I never really paid a whole lot of attention to it. It comes right from this psalm. And so as he wraps himself in light, and there's old hymns that say he shines in the light. That's how uh, glorious God is, that, that light, a blinding light, something that would typically blind us is actually a veil uh, because he is so much brighter. The Apostle Paul in his epistle to Timothy, he describes the glory of God exactly the same way. In 1 Timothy 6.16, it says this of God, he alone is immortal and he lives in unapproachable light who no one has seen or can see. That's how great our God is. In order for us to see him, in order for us to really get a picture of who he is and comprehend him, God has to graciously veil himself in something that is so powerfully bright it typically blinds us. And then verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 104, it continues, who stretches out the heavens as like a curtain. He lays the beams of his chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. So here's the second day of creation. What's described in Genesis 1, 6 through 8. That's what's referenced here in verses 2 and 3. The creation of, of our sky. That, that separation of the waters above uh, and the firmament from the waters uh, below. Uh, in verse 3, it's talking about the waters of the sky above us. When it pictures God here as making his dwelling place by laying the chambers, the beams of his chambers in the waters. This is going to be his dwelling place. This is going to be his abode up in the waters above, in the skies, in the heavens. Now, in the Genesis account, 
Um, we don't have a specific day or time slot for what verse 4 speaks of, uh, the creation of angels. Now, that had to happen at some point, right? They're created beings. They're not eternal like God is. Um, but verse 4 references God creating his heavenly ministers. He maketh his angel spirits, his ministers, a flaming fire. And I want to pause here because um, something I try to encourage you to do every time we're studying a psalm is to look for Jesus in the psalms. Um, this past Sunday, when we studied Luke chapter 24, uh, you may remember Jesus said there to his disciples that all of the Old Testament, the law, those first five books, uh, the prophets, and Jesus said even the Psalms, that they all point to him. Is Jesus here yet in this, this Psalm? Without a doubt. In Hebrews 1.7, God uses this verse, Psalm 104.4. God uses, he quotes this verse about angels to show that not only is Jesus better than angels, he's the creator and the Lord of the angels. So when Psalm 104 is moving us to stand in awe of God and to worship God and to place all of our faith in God because of his greatness, it's really, this psalm is really asking us to do all those things toward Jesus Christ. That we're to stand in awe of Christ's greatness. We're to worship Jesus as creator and sustainer. We're to place all of our faith in Jesus Christ because he is our creator and sustainer. Isn't that what John 1, 1 through 3 says? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was nothing made that was made. Jesus. Speaking of Jesus in Colossians 1.16, it says, For by him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. And again, in the book of Hebrews, God tells us this in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke to our fathers in times past by the prophets, he has in these last days spoken to us by his Son whom he's appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So then according to verse 5 here in Psalm 104, it says, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Who did that? Who laid the foundations of the earth? Jesus. Jesus Christ. And the focus of Psalm 104 is, is this. Who is great? Well, well, God. God is great. But we know God's greatness through God the Son, through Jesus Christ. Let's read verses 6 through 9 again. It says, Thou coverest it with deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At thy rebuke they fled. At the voice of thy thunder they hasted away. They go up by the mountains. They go down by the valleys into the place which thou hast founded for them. God, you have set a bound that they may not pass over, that they turn not again to cover the earth. So at first glance, um, this may seem to refer to the flood in Noah's day. Um, Along with Ryrie and other commentators, I don't know that that's the case. I would have to say that the, David is talking here about the Genesis chapter 1, when, when God separated the waters and brought land up out of the waters. Um, there, it could be. It could be that he's talking about the flood. I, I think verse um, 9 might lend credence to that. Regardless, the same point is driven home. Here's the point. Our great God is in control of his creation, amen? Total control of it. There's no wave that goes where he does not send it. 
Uh, there's no tide that can bypass the bounds he has set for it. And the greatness of God, this is so awesome. In Psalm 104 here, the greatness of God, it raises its fist at the supposed God of deism. Deism is a belief that, yes, God is a creator, but he just set everything in motion and then he stepped back and let everything run its course and he doesn't have involvement in our world. There's no way here, not with what the psalm is describing, because here God is pictured for us as being great, not only because he's a creator, but also because he is the sustainer. He's amazingly aware of something um, that, that to us is as seemingly chaotic as, as the great waters of rivers and lakes and oceans. And, but he's not only aware of them, he's in charge of them, according to verse 9. He's in sovereign control over them. That's a great God, isn't it? And this great creator who's also a great sustainer is displayed for us further in verses 10 through 30 where we see the greatness of God in his care for his creation. Verse 10 reminds us that uh, in God's great omniscience and in his, his mental brilliance, he has designed a method where he guides these sky waters to fall to earth. And he also uh, causes water to come up out of the earth. Verse 10 says, into the valleys which run among the hills. And, and he has a purpose in this. Verses 11 to 13, they give drink to every beast of the field. And he waters the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works, God. What's David describing here? The water cycle. Can you remember that from way back in elementary school when you probably learned about it? Yeah. Um, and when we consider this, uh, when we're like, man, I hope we get some rain or, wow, we've gotten a lot of rain and things like that, it should cause us to meditate on, it should cause us to worship God for his greatness in his special care for his creation. I worry that we don't do this enough. And, uh, and maybe that is why what comes to our mind when we think about God doesn't result in high worship that fulfills our life purpose. Uh, in a world where we're, we're far too amazed at the latest iPhone or some other technological device or advancement that, that binds us indoors, um, well, no wonder that we fail to have high views of the greatness of God that um, results in high worship of God and have high faith in God. You know, back in Psalm 19, God had David tell us this, the heavens declare the glory of God. Christian author Anne Voskamp, she once wrote, well, if the heavens declare, get out there. <laughs> let, let them speak to you. That's God's design. Do what Psalm 104 here is motivating us to do. Meditate on the greatness of God and his creation so that we can have high views of who he is. And we can have high worship of him. And we can have a high faith in who he is for us in Jesus Christ. And then verses 14 and 15, it tells us that God in his greatness, it's him who causes grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man that he may bring forth food out of the earth. I'm going to claim this verse over my garden. It's not doing so well right now. And then God says, it is God who is in his greatness. He provides us with wine that makes glad the heart of man and oil to make our face shine and bread to strengthen our heart. And the point is this. Where do you get your groceries? 
Where do you get your groceries? Do, you get them, do I get them from my garden? Not right now, I don't. Um, do you get them from Food Lion or, or Aldi's? No, ultimately, we, we get our food from our great God, right? Uh, now, there's an interesting dynamic given here and later on in the psalm as well. And, and it's important for us to consider because it's applicable to so much more than just God's great care for us in his creation. Um, yes, it is God who provides for us. But, but please notice the second he there in verse 14. It says, he causes the grass to grow for the cattle and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. That second he there, that's me. <laughs> that second he is me. If you've got a new King James, they'll capitalize pronouns. That one's not capitalized. First one is. This one's not because it's not talking about God. God does not uh, bring forth food out of the ground. No, he causes the grass to grow for cattle. He causes the herb to grow for the service of man. That he, that man, that you, that me, that we may bring forth food out of the ground. So, yeah, God provides us with food to eat, but we are the ones that bring forth food out of the earth. That's a good farmer verse, isn't it? Our great God, he's the ultimate provider and sustainer, but we are not without involvement in this whole process. Now, think about it in some other aspects of life. Who is it that provided salvation for us? God, right? It's God who did that. But do we have a responsibility to receive it? Yeah, definitely. Um, he is the one who provides us with the means to sustain our faith. He is, he's given us his word, and he's enabled us to pray to him, and we have access to the throne room of heaven whenever we want, and, and he's given us other means of his grace, like uh, coming together and assembling together for, for worship so we can be sustained in our Christian life. But is it not you and I who must actively rely on those means of grace? We have to go to his word. This Bible will not do any good if it's sitting up on a shelf from Sunday to Sunday. We have to go to the Lord in prayer. We have to go to assemble ourselves together for worship. In verse 16, it says, The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he has planted. I've never seen one in real life. When we were at the Arboretum the other day, they had some redwoods there. They weren't like the redwoods in California that you can drive through, but they were pretty big. We got big trees here, don't we? North Carolina, we're the land of the longleaf pine, right? Big, tall trees. We don't have those. We got, tree, we got uh, pine trees, you know, in Wisconsin, but... Most of them are shorter, and their bristles start all the way at the bottom. You have giant pine cones here. But you know what's full of sap? These North Carolina pines, right? <laughs> I had to cut a branch. Krista wanted me to cut a branch today to, to plant a hydrangea we had bought. It was kind of covering the area, and I had this little pole saw thing, not, not a power one. So I was up there <laughs> like this the whole. It took me forever because it was full of sap. God put that there. God put that there. And he makes these tall trees, these giants. So as verses 17 and 18 say, birds have a place to live. He even gives them a place to live. And God's made a home in the hills for the wild goats, it says. And he has a home in the rocks for, the King James calls it a coney, right? And here you might have a new version. It might say hyrax or rock badger or something like It's a little, little critter. But God gives them their homes. Do you notice do you notice the greatness of God and the care that he has for his creation? He wants us to notice it. In fact, Jesus drew our attention to this in his Sermon on the Mount. 
I know our ladies are studying that on Tuesdays, and we're studying on Sunday nights. We're not quite here yet. But Jesus said, why are you worried? <laughs> why are you worried, Jesus' follower? God created, and he sustains those beautiful flowers, the lilies of the field. They didn't dress themselves. It says that even the wealthy Solomon, if he put on the finest clothes he had, he wouldn't look like they do. And Jesus drew our attention to the sparrows. And they don't sow and they don't reap. They don't plant gardens. They don't harvest. But God provides food for all of them. And the point is this. If he does all of this in his care for his creation, well, won't he in his greatness care about you the same way? Yeah, of course he will. Then we got verses 19 to 21. And day becomes night. God created night as well. That, that's a time when some animals wake up and do what they do. And then verses 22 and 23, the sun comes up and it's day again. And according to verse 23, it's time for you and I to do what God does. It's time for us to go to work. So I hope that our response is an echo of David's here in verse 24. Look at verse 24. David just erupts here. He says, oh, Lord, how manifold, how many are, are your works in your wisdom, you've made them all, and the earth is full. It's full of your riches, literally your possessions. I'm your possession, God. Everything here is yours. When met with the greatness of God in regard to his control of his creation and his care for his creation, what else could our response be but to erupt in praise like David does there in verse 24? And then in verses 25 and 30, we're directed to the sea. Some scientists call it the last frontier. I enjoy watching stuff about this on Discovery Network when they take one of those weird little submarines and go way, way, way down and you see them fish that look like aliens, right? And they've got big old gaping mouths and you can sometimes see through them and things like that. Um, he talks about the sea here. You know, there's places in our oceans that we have never been yet. And um, there's critters we're discovering all the time. Tiny little aquatic creatures and, and the big leviathan talks about here. No, I don't know what that is. And you don't either. You can ask God when you get to heaven. I know if you look down there, it might say a crocodile or hippopotamus or something like that. That's some theologian's best guess. The point is it's a big critter. Don't get stuck on, when you're studying God's word, don't get stuck on the minor, Right? Don't major on the minor. What's the major? Verses 27, 28. That's the major point here. These all, big and small, these all wait on thee, that thou mayest give them their meat, their food in due season. What you give them, they gather. Thou openest thine hand, and they're filled with good. Don't ever forget that it's God in his greatness that cares for you, that provides for you. As with every part of his creation, it's God who meets all of your needs. It's important that we don't forget that. God's people in the Old Testament forgot that. God said, you will forget this. You will come into a land. You didn't build these houses. I took you in here and I gave you a city that was already built. And I gave you vineyards <laughs> that were already cultivated. And it was like a, a turnkey, ready-to-go thing. And you're going to get there and you're going to say, we did all of this. And then you're going to turn from me. That's why it's so important that we don't forget that it's God who cares for us, who meets all of our needs, that he's a source of our life, and that he's a sustainer of our life. And, and verses 29 and 30 remind us of that. Let's read those again. This is, thou hidest thy face, 
and their trouble. Thou takest away their breath, and they die, and they return to their dust. Thou sendest forth thy spirit, and they're created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. God is a source of life. God is a sustainer of life. You did not born yourself. No one here. No one here said, I did not say uh, 49 years ago on April 9th, yep, this is a good day, I'm going to come out. In fact, I didn't want to come out. They had to go get me. I, I was about three weeks late, 10 pounds, 9 ounces. My mom was glad I was Caesarean, that they had to come and get me. Um, you didn't born yourself. God began your life. And, and he's got an appointed day when that will end, too. He does. David says in Psalm 139.16, God, in your book, they all were written for me. What was written? The days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Psalm 139, 16. Every, before we were born, every day of our life planned out by God. So should Christ tarry his return, there will come a day when, as verse 29 says, God, who is the giver of our life breath, when he will take away our breath. Uh, when we'll die, when our temporal bodies will return to the dust. Does the thought of that cause you an ounce of worry? As it shouldn't. It shouldn't, because our great God, our creator and sustainer, who cares for all of his creation so marvelously, as, as Psalm 104 puts it, he's in control of even that. The one who gave you life. Now, I find the greatest comfort in it. If you know Christ as your Savior, what a love, what a comfort. <laughs> That level of control is that God has. Um, and, and here's the thing. Worry won't do a thing about it. Worry won't do a thing about it. That, that's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 27. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? No, you can't. It's in the good and gracious hands of our great God. And I'm, I'm so glad it is. Psalm 104 has put at the forefront of our minds tonight um, the greatness of God. His control over creation and his special care over his creation. We can, we can go out here and we can look at this beautiful world that he's created all around us and we can see the greatness of our God. But because of Adam and Eve and because of you and I, uh, sin entered this world, this beautiful world that he created perfectly. And it corrupted this world. Uh, in science, it's something we call entropy. Decay, a movement not to order, but a movement to chaos. And that's a part of this world, too. And, and so finally, in verses 31 to 35, we see the greatness of God and his correction of creation. I want you to take a look at verse 31. It says, the glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. The glory of the Lord, that, that is what we veil, that is what we harm when we choose to sin. God's glory. The ability of God to rejoice in his works, that's what we diminish when you and I disobey God's commands. And it's God's intent that, that his glory endures forever. That's what verse 31 says. It's our, our great God's desire that he would be able to rejoice in his creation. And he wants it to rejoice in him. But because of our sin, we sent this world into this entropic, decaying state. You know what God did? He stepped in. He stepped in. And in great love and in great power, he corrected his creation. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sin 
so that those who trust in him and what he did for them on that cross in that empty tomb, that they could have new life in Christ now, they could have eternal life with him forever. That's how our great God initiated this process of correcting his creation. And we see his greatness in it. Isn't his love great in the cross of Jesus Christ? Isn't his power great in the resurrection of Christ? God sent Jesus to restore the glory that, that we stole through our sin, to restore God's ability to rejoice in his works. In verse 32, our great God's power is pictured uh, again, and it causes David to respond in praise. And in verse 33, David says, I'm going to sing to the Lord as long as I live, as long as I have my being. Do you want God to be able to rejoice in you? Then do what verse 33 says to do. Meditate on him, on his greatness. There's nothing more sweet to you. There is nothing that's more joy-inducing to God than for you to meditate and worship him for who he is. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know him as he has revealed himself in Scripture to us. Yeah, your concept of God, it is the most important thing about you. Is he great to you? Does his greatness fuel great faith in him? He wants you to be glad in him. Satan and ourselves in this world, it will tell us that that gladness is over here or it's here or it comes from this or it comes from that. It doesn't. It only comes from being in Christ. It never comes from us being in different circumstances, only being in Jesus. And I love how this song closes. Verse 35, uh, verse 35, it takes us forward in time to that day when when we will live (laughs) in the reality of the greatness of God having corrected his creation. It says, let the sinners be consumed out of the earth. Let the wicked be no more. And, and that right there, that is my concept of heaven, or new heavens, new earth. Yeah, I, I'm going to enjoy no more pain, and I will enjoy no more sorrows and no more death. But what I long for most of all is no more sin. Don't you? Because all those other things come from sin. And, and in anticipation of that promised day, I join David, and, and I invite you to join David, saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, praise ye the Lord. Do you know what praise ye the Lord is in, in Hebrew? It might say it in your Bible. Does anybody have something different than praise ye the Lord at the very end of verse 35? Hallelujah. That's what he, you know, when we sing hallelujah, that's what it means. It's Hebrew for praise the Lord. This is the first time. First time it's in the book of Psalms right here. Hallelujah. And in anticipation of that coming day when when God has corrected his creation fully and finally and completely, we don't have to just wait for that. I invite invite you tonight to to pray and to practice that that line from the Lord's Prayer. We, We say it just rolls off our tongue. But when we say thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, just as it is in heaven, so here on earth. I mean, do you understand what that means? Thy will be done, just as it is in heaven, or or just as it will be in that coming day, when the wicked are consumed out of the earth, and they're no more. We're praying that. We're saying, God, I want that to be true here, right now, right here in my life, as I await that coming day, when you fully correct your creation. And so, May that correction occur even right here, right now, tonight in our lives. I'm going to have Tommy and the praise team come now. And 
And will you lead us to sing to the Lord just as David said he did here? I will sing to him as, as long as we live, that and when we stand here in a moment and we worship God for his greatness, when we sing that lyric that he wraps himself in light, we'll be reminded of the greatness of God that he's talked about here in Psalm 104. 